Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. I want to start today by giving you uh, some insight that I've had as an adult. So this is something I should have known all along, but I've, I've kind of learned it and, and relearned it. And when I tell you this, you're not going to be like, that's not so, pro-. you're going to be like, that's not very profound. But I, I really think it is if you, if you dive into it. Here's, here's like the insight I've had as an adult, and I put it in one clean sentence. It's this, I can choose my thoughts and think things on purpose. Simple, right? Profound. You're like, well, oh, yeah, okay, I can think things on purpose. But, but if you think about it, we don't usually act like that's the case. We think that the way we think comes from something else. It comes from emotions or desires or like something just pops in my head and I can't help but think the way that I do. But it has been a powerful idea and a powerful reminder to me to learn and relearn this idea that, no, I, I have choice. I have free will. I have agency. I can choose to think certain things. We just act like so often we don't. In fact, we act like we can't think things on purpose or that our thoughts are kind of provided for us in some way. And we do it by using certain terms and labels. Like, for example, because these terms and labels justify our thoughts and they justify our actions. So, for example, if if I say, oh, I'm an extrovert, what that actually means, what extrovert would actually mean in a Myers-Briggs sort of way Extrovert would mean that I draw energy from being around people. So if I go to a party, I come home and I'm energized because I was around a lot of people. That's what extrovert means. But the way we practically use extrovert in everyday conversation, we mean something like, I'm loud, obnoxious, I talk to everybody, I'm the life of the party, all I ever do is party, I never shut up, I never want to be alone, I don't like the quiet. Like That's how we use it, right? And, and what we're saying is that we kind of think and act a certain way based on the label. Oh, I'm an extrovert, therefore I must be loud and I must think about people in a certain way and I must act a certain way, when that's really not what that means. Maybe, let me give you another example. If I say I'm cynical, what am I saying? I'm, I'm really saying for every uh, cloud, I can, for every silver lining, I can find a dark cloud, right? That's kind of what that means. If you say the, gla- the glass is half empty, uh, half full, I'll say it's half empty, and I'll say actually, and the glass is kind of dirty, and you should clean it. Like, that's, that's cynical, right? But what I'm really saying when I say I'm cynical is I'm saying I have a bias. I think about the world in a particular way. You, you, you give me information, and my mind will think about it, and I will spin that information a certain way, and I will focus on and, and, and set my mind and my thoughts on the dark side of that whole thing. That's what we're saying when I say I'm cynical, and as long as I tell you I'm cynical, I'm sort of justified. But I think it is actually a liberating thought to, to understand that I can choose what I think about and I can think things on purpose. That I, I'm not a slave to cynicism. I'm not a slave to being an extrovert. I'm not a slave to any of those things. But I actually have choice, agency, free will, and I can choose to think things on purpose. That's, a, that's actually a, a powerful thing. That's a liberating thing. 
And I, and I believe it's true. And if it's not true, then, then the scripture doesn't make any sense to us. Because the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, he says this to the church. He says this. Listen to what he tells us. I love this verse. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul believes you can choose what you think about, and he gives you this list. Go through what you know is noble, pure, excellent, praiseworthy, the good stuff, and set your mind there. Think about those things. That's what Paul tells us. And if we can't do that, if we can't choose our thoughts, then Paul's a liar. Then, he, then, he's, then he's wasting our time. Then he's, that really all he's saying is some pretty words that sound nice, but aren't actually doable or, or practical in the real world. But I believe that what he's saying is, was meant for real people to accomplish with their real lives in the real world, that, that, we, can, that we can choose what we think about. I know there's some caveats, I'll, I'll give you those at the end, there's some challenges with that, but, but we have the oppor- opportunity and the option to choose how we think. So it's important uh, that we do some mind work and, and, we, and, we, and we look at how am I thinking about the world that I'm living in, my life and the world around me. We, we've been in this series called Barely Holding It Together, which I think describes the way a lot of us have felt over the last year or so, maybe years, I, I don't know. Maybe your entire adult life feels that way. Um, but we've been in this series, and we're talking about a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a city between Athens and Sparta um, in, in Greece and kind of a peninsula, and uh, and, and, and he, writes this, uh, he writes this letter to the church that he established in about 51 AD. He writes a letter in 54 AD back to the church. He had spent about 18 months there. He gets a report that things are not going so well in Corinth. He writes them a letter, and he challenges them. And in particular, what I want to look at this morning is how he challenges them in their thinking. Because he doesn't just play whack-a-mole with their behaviors, which is what a lot of us try to do. We just go, I'm doing the wrong things. Let me do some things differently. That has limited value. You have to start with, what is the root of the thing? I behave this way. Why do I think this way? And so Paul is going to go into their minds a little bit, into their thinking, and, and challenge them here in 1 Corinthians uh, chap, chapter 2. Um, and this is going to be very important for us to look at, not just to understand what the Bible says, but this is important for us now, because how we think shapes who we're becoming. Um, that's, that's true. Uh, Scripture says it in Proverbs. In, the King James says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think internally in, in your core, this is how you are. The Stoic philosopher and emperor of Rome, Marcus Aurelius, says, our life is what our thoughts make it. Um, there's, there's some truth to that, that, that we are being shaped by how we we think, and so it's important. So let's jump in. First Corinthians, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. He says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those 
who love him. All right, we, we, we've talked about this a little bit in weeks past. Paul draws this contrast between um, the rulers of this age and like God, or the wisdom of the age and the wisdom of God. And he says these are very different things. Now, if you think about in their culture, the wisdom of the age has to do with some things we talked about last week, maybe um, Stoicism or uh, Epicureanism or some different ideas like that. The wisdom of our age, what is the wisdom of the culture that we live in? What is the collective wisdom? I would argue that the wisdom of our age is some combination of like science and uh, politics and a little bit of philosophy light thrown into a blender and mixed up and, and then served back to us through advertising. And that is basically like the wisdom of the age. That's, that's what we kind of gravitate towards and, and believe. Um, and, and there's some good things in it. I've, I've learned from the wisdom of the age. I've learned some things over the years. And there's some good things to kind of hold on to and learn and, and focus on. Um, but there's a lot of bad stuff too. And, and the way I know that the wisdom of our age is bad is to look back at the wisdom of our age of our culture 50 years ago. Because back then we thought it was really good, but it was really dumb. So for example, I looked at some old advertising from some ads that today we would find kind of laughable. Let me put a couple of these up on the screen. Like for example, this one for butter. This is an ad for butter. Now I'm a big butter fan, okay? I have a lot of it in my life. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not like anti-butter. But that's a little much, and, and that, is, that is saying that, hey, butter, good, like, you should just have it by the stick full or whatever. Gross. Here's one for 7-Up. I don't know what you put in the bottle of your children, but 7-Up ain't it, and it's not a good idea. No, no, everyone, this is a bad idea. Okay, wisdom of the age. Here's one for Marlboro, uh, smoking with all the kids, you know. Uh, before, before you scold me, Mom, you'd better light up a Marlboro. <laughs> it says, yes, you need never feel ever smoked. That's the miracle of Marlboro. Uh, gee, Mommy, you sure enjoy your Marlboro. Like infants <laughs> and cigarettes. Like that was a thing back in the day. Um, here, here's one more for cellophane. Good things are, good things are twice as good in cellophane. Um, yeah, I don't, that's, not, that's, un, that's not good. And... I know it's advertising, but it's also like part of the wisdom of the age. These are things that we thought in that day, like, ah, this is good, this will be fun, this is a great idea, and it's not. And it it actually makes me wonder, what are the things we are doing and believing and selling and, and kind of absorbing right now that 10, 20, 50 years from now, we're going to be like, that is so stupid. Like, how could we believe that? That is that slice, that moment in time is the wisdom of the age. Those things came from the wisdom of that age. We're living and believing some right now. So we should at least pump the brakes or have a little bit of humility about what we believe right now when it comes to cultural stuff that we've absorbed and go, hmm, this may not age well. Maybe I believe this thing right now that everyone in the culture believes and maybe it's actually not great. Paul tells us God has revealed something different. The wisdom of God he describes as secret and hidden. Now, when I read that, I was like, what's the deal? Like, why would God have all this wisdom and then hide it from us? Like, that's kind of odd. Like, why don't you just tell us plainly what the wisdom is, and then we can just read it and learn it, and we're good. It it actually reminds me of something Jesus said. Jesus was asked um, about parables. So when Jesus was asked a question... 
he would answer oftentimes with a question or he would answer with a parable. So people would say like, hey, what is the kingdom of heaven? And instead of him saying, well, the kingdom of heaven is the effective rule of God in the world and the places where God's will is, is happening, like he doesn't do that kind of thing. People are like, Jesus, what's the kingdom of heaven? And he'll be like, the kingdom of heaven is like a man with a seed that scatters the seed. And it's like, well, he tells this little story. And you're like, why are you telling? What is God like? Well, God's like a father, and he had this son, and he had two sons, and one of them ran away. And then he, like, he tells these parables. And at some point, Jesus' closest followers got tired of it. They're like, why do you keep talking like that? Which is exactly what any of us would have said if we had hung around with him for years. Why do you keep saying those things? One, some of them are awkward. But two, it's a little bit confusing. Like if, if your goal, Jesus, is to get a bunch of followers, maybe you should just speak as plainly as possible and just give it to people straight and then we'll be good. And so they ask him why and listen to how that inter- exchange goes down because it kind of reminds me of Paul saying there's secret and hidden wisdom of God. In Matthew 13, verses 10 through 13, listen to this. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Like, what's up with that? I don't, why do you talk that way? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Cool, Jesus, that clears it up for us. So why, why do you speak in such a cryptic way? And he gives us a really cryptic answer. It's almost like, Jesus, why are you so confusing? He's like, because if I was plain, they would get it. Yes, that's what we're saying. Why aren't you plain? Because if you would, they would get it. And he's like, I ain't about that. That's weird. How come he speaks in a way that those who get it are going to get it and then those who don't won't? Why is there this secret and hidden wisdom from God? Um, I think why Jesus does this, and I think even what Paul's hinting at a little bit, is this. A perfect God, it's hard for us to get our head around because we don't have a frame of reference for this, but for a perfect being that God is, sinless um, if he's going to enter into a relationship with us, we are not perfect. We're broken. We're, we're, we're a mess. We're, we're, we're sinful. Um, and so if he's going to enter into a relationship with us, it's a bit of a complicated thing. He has to do a little bit of a, of a dance with us. There, there, there's, there's almost like almost like this give and take thing that he has to do because um, if he shows up in all of his perfection and glory and power and all that, we are overwhelmed. And so he comes to us um, often in, in, a more, in a more subtle way. This is why Jesus commends and why the scripture always talks about the element of faith. Um, God doesn't give us certainty. He asks us to live by faith. That's what it takes to be in relationship with him. Not certainty because then we just trust our own judgment. But if we're going to actually trust him, we're going to have to live in a little bit of faith. We have to make 100% commitment to him and not be 100% sure or, or to be the kind of people who have doubts. Doubts are baked into the whole thing, and that's, that's okay. Um, we have to say, I'm not 100% sure about you, God, but I choose to trust. That is how we get into relationship with God. And so Paul says God has hidden some wisdom um, Maybe he's done that because in his perfection um, and our imperfection, we could not handle all of the wisdom 
of God. Maybe there's actually wisdom in God giving us a piece, but not giving us the whole thing. Um, so for us to handle the wisdom of God and, and to understand what he's trying to teach us and, and understand all the things that we need to learn from him, um, we're going to need to think differently about our lives. And, and, but we're not alone in that. Paul tells us that, that we are given a key ingredient to this. So listen to what he tells the church in Corinth. He says this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. All right, there's a lot there, but he points us to this idea that Jesus spoke of before he left. Before he was crucified, Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit would come and would be a, a helper, a comforter that would live with inside us. And so we believe and teach, and, and Christians have historically believed that when you give your life to Christ and are baptized into him, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. The Spirit of God um, in, in a sense, take, takes a residence in your heart and begins to do his work of, of teaching you and, and, and transforming you and, and cleaning you up from the inside out. The Holy Spirit illuminates um, hearts. It, it illuminates our thoughts. Th- think of it like um, being in a dark room. If you walk through a room late at night and it's dark and you don't know where the furniture is, you will find the furniture, but probably with your shins, You've ever done that, and it's an uncomfortable experience, right? The Holy Spirit shows up a little bit like the light just came on, like a, a flip of the switch, and it's like, oh, okay, here's the lay of the land. Now I see where that chair is. Now I see where that end table is. Now I can actually walk in a better way and a safer way, I guess you could say, and not you know, stub my toe and, and hurt myself on all the things that are there. This is a little bit like what the Holy Spirit is like when he enters our lives. The light comes on and we see all the things and we see some new things. It actually, the, the Spirit of God in our life, he, he changes the way we think and he changes our, our mindset. Paul says, we have the Spirit of God what he tells us, the Spirit of God in us, and to understand these things that have been freely given to us by God. Um, the Holy Spirit lives inside us and lets us see things at, at maybe a, a deeper level. So let's take some examples. Um, of, let's, let's talk about some, some sins, okay? Racism. Racism is a sin. That should be non-controversial, all right? Uh, it's, it's not good, okay, uh, to, to judge someone based on how much, you know, melanin they have in their skin and, the, and those sort of things and to, and to have a prejudice towards people based on skin color. That should, that should be uh, non-controversial in a Christian church. <laughs> um, so we know it's a sin and culture will tell you it's a sin. American culture will tell you, a lot of people will tell you uh, in 
seems like a non-controversial thing. Everyone's going to be like, no, racism's bad, it's real bad, it's sinful, it's terrible, there's a legacy of history, there's all these things in our culture, um, and we would all just go, bad. it's bad. And why is it bad? Well, because it's bad to treat that people that way, it's bad to judge people that way. Those things are bad. Um, but the Holy Spirit illuminates those things in our lives and shows us a deeper level that racism is not bad because you're treating someone else bad, and that's it. Racism is an assault on the image of God in a person. And so we believe, and the Holy Spirit has shown, that people bear the stamp of God. They are the image of God. All, all uh, colors and tribes and ethnic groups and nations of the world, these people, we all bear the image of God. And so when we are racist, we are showing prejudice towards and against something that is of God, of his people, his children, um, and, and we, are, we, are, we are actually going against the image of God in those people. So it's more than just uh, your color offends me or something like that. It is, it is a deeper thing uh, that the Spirit teaches us that, that is going on there when we assault the image of God. Um, and what we learn is that it, it also kicks up something called pride, which separates us from God because we believe we are better than someone else. And so there's some layers there that the Holy Spirit illuminates. Now, some of what I just told you Everybody knows. And some of what I just told you is, is a little more like, hey, the Scripture teaches us and the Holy Spirit has taught us this. And so there's another layer of understanding that we get when we have the Spirit. Um, uh, that, that It goes a little bit deeper. And if you were to tell people... If you were to tell people that, hey, racism is bad because it's an assault on the image of God in someone and it's offensive to not just the other person but to God... If you don't believe in God, that statement makes no sense to you. You don't, you don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't really click with you. Let me give you another example. Um, it is not difficult in our culture to find critics of pornography, to find um, articles that are being written to say the human mind is not capable of doing or handling what we are doing to it. And you can look out across culture and see an incredible amount of sexual dysfunction and challenges that people are having due to the usage of pornography. And people are writing about this. This is not, this is not a, a religious person telling you, oh, it's bad, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, the church is going to say that, but we have some different levels with it that we're talking about because culture will say, uh, create some dysfunction, public health problem, these sorts of things. And there's some good websites that will teach you about that. Uh, one of the ones that I like that approaches, uh, that challenges pornography entirely from a secular standpoint is the website Fight the New Drug. And it talks about this is, a, this is like heroin we are injecting into the eyes and people are getting addicted and there's all sorts of problems that are happening. But that is, the, that is a mainstream understanding of the challenges around pornography. The Holy Spirit in our lives illuminates things for us and goes, no, it's, it's deeper than that. Again, the image of God in men and women that you are objectifying for your own pleasure. Jesus comes along and says, uh, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Regular culture is not going to say that pornography is adultery. That sounds crazy. But Jesus goes, no, there's a problem in your heart that's way deeper than just the images that are going before your eyes. And so you have to, you have to notice what you're doing 
because of how it leads you to think about and treat other people, men and women that you, you view how, how, and, and what you're participating in there. You have to think deeper about that. The Holy Spirit illuminates the, some of that stuff in our lives and adds layers of, of, of understanding over that, 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 that these people that are in, that are in uh, pornography, that, that, that these people are in the, made in the image of God. Now, if you ask the average person in a bar or whatever, if you go up to the average guy and you say, hey, um, do you think pornography is adultery? They'd be like, no. Adultery is adultery. That, that's not even, no. No, it's not. I mean, it's, it's harmless. And this is where the Spirit of God illuminates things in our lives that are different than the culture. And, that, and actually, the Spirit of God and what he teaches us is going to be separate from what the culture believes and, and, and at times at odds with what the culture believes. Um, so we need, to, we need to think about this. This is what Paul is telling us. He says, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Spirit of God in us, and he, and he connects to the things of God, and we start seeing the world differently. And therefore, we live differently. If you are single and celibate, in our culture, that's weird. But Jesus was, and it wasn't weird. Um, that is a cultural thing. I've never seen the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin, but here's one thing I know about it. It's a comedy, because we think that's funny. That's what our culture does. We go, oh, this is crazy, right? And the Spirit comes along and goes, no, this is, actually, this might be faithful, is what, is what this is. Uh, you go to a financial planner and say, hey, I need to save for my kids' retirement. Uh, I need to save for my retirement, my kids' retirement, whatever. I need to save for my kids. I'm giving them all the money. Uh, I need to save for college. They're going ha- to take it all anyway. I'm going to save for college. I'm going to do all these things. And, and, and then you say to a financial planner, I'm going to give 10% of my money away to the church. A planner would be like, that is great. That's a lot of money. Like, why would you do that? Don't do that. Well, because how we live is foolish to the world. It's not going to make sense in their spreadsheets because we have the Spirit in us, and the Spirit challenges us and pushes us to live differently than than the mainstream culture. Um, there's a lot more to say there. Um, on the sex side of that, there's a lot to get into. Um, we'll, we'll do that in a couple weeks. I didn't want to do that to you on Mother's Day next week, but uh, in a couple weeks we'll get into that because the church in Corinth had a lot of issues there. They had epically bad sexual problems going on in the church. And so there's a lot to talk about there. We'll, we'll get to it in a, in a couple weeks. Let's just finish out uh, verse 14 here and, and finish out what Paul says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, Paul says. And then let me just, let me just read to you um, how, he, how he finishes finishes those, those uh, words out. Um, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. The natural person thinks that what we believe, say, act, uh, all the things that we do as we follow God in this world, in the culture today, to the average person, it's going to look like, he says, folly. It's going to look foolish. It's going to look stupid. It's going to look naive. It makes no sense. Um, how we look and think and act should look out of step 
with popular culture in America, and I would say that if we were in a different country, and I would say that if we were in a different time, followers of Jesus, you're always going to be out of step in some way with the culture that you're in and with the time that you live in. That's, that's okay. We should look different, and you should think different than everyone in your social media feed. And some of you are like, that's fine. I, I, those, I think different than all those fools anyway. Um, And the reason we we should think differently is because, as Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. And if we have the mind of Christ and we're thinking um, the Jesus things and trying to follow him and live the way he calls us to live, people will look at you and say, you are backwards, you are out of step, you are behind the times. They will say things like that. And this is why we need to train our minds to think well about the times that we're in and how we're living and the culture that we live in. Um, Because there's always going to be temptations to live and act and think exactly like the culture around us. I I saw a PBS documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, on the black church in America. I was, uh, family had it on, I was kind of cooking and sort of watching part of it as it was going on and um, they, they traced the rise of the black church in America, and uh, it's really interesting. And one of the things they talk about is just the role of um, slavery and how in the church, slavery was justified by the scripture. And in some cases, some scriptures, like the liberation of the slaves in Exodus, was not taught in the church so that nobody would get any ideas about liberating slaves, that kind of thing. Um, and you watch it, and it's, and it's repulsive. It's just like, oh, this is so bad. And I think one of the ideas that you would get from it as you watch it is the church really messed up here because the church justified slavery by using the Scripture. Now, to give both sides of the story, slavery was ended by people using the Scripture also. So there, there's another side to that story. But you, you see that, and you're like, this is awful. But... As I look at it and I see it, here's here's what I notice. American culture at large in the 17 and 1800s believed in slavery, particularly in the South. Um, So the church, all the church did was provide like Bible cover for what people already wanted to believe, which which is horrific. What the church failed to do and, you know, It's easy to say hundreds of years later when it cost me nothing to say it, right? But what the church failed to do then was stand up and say, no, this is is an offense to the image of God. The scripture does not condone this. This is not the way to be. No, what the church in many cases did in that day was say, oh, the culture wants this? Okay, let's find a scriptural way to justify what the culture wants. And then I wonder about today, what are the things that the church at large is justifying because the culture wants it. The larger culture says, and I would say the biggest one in our culture right now is sexuality, and, and, and that our culture is saying it needs to be this way, and, and some people within the church are going, cool, let's make the scriptures fit that. And, and that's not the mind of Christ. That's the mind of the culture in trying to put a little Jesus face on it. Um, and this is why we need to train our minds to think well so what is the way forward quickly and then we're done? How, how can we have the mind of Christ? Um, if you are baptized here, you have the Holy Spirit in you. We have, we have four people getting baptized in our church today and, and, and more next week. So yeah, it's cool, it's cool. So God's, God's at work here and, 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 and people are making decisions to follow after him. Um, 
so when you are baptized, you have the Holy Spirit in you. I, I think of this like the, the operating system on your, on your computer. I have a, a Mac laptop, and I had to check this because I didn't know. Apparently, it runs Catalina. Uh, who knew? Um, but here's the deal. My, my laptop runs Catalina, this operating system, and that affects everything I do with the laptop. Um, but it only works if I open it. If I leave the laptop shut then it doesn't matter what operating system it's running. And in in a similar way, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us when we give our lives to him and we are baptized. But unless you access him and and start engaging, it won't matter what that operating system is that that has been implanted on the hardware. It's not going to matter unless we intentionally engage it. And the way we access the Spirit of God that Paul is talking about here in Corinthians, really, and this is the way that Christians have done this for millennia, so this isn't going to be new. You're not going to tweet this out right now because it's some fresh insight. The way we access the Spirit of God is we get alone, we get quiet, and we talk and listen to God. That's it. Get alone, get quiet, talk and listen to God. Get alone, it's easier for some than others, right? You got small children, you're like, I'm never alone. In the bathroom, I'm not alone. The little hands come under the door. There's no alone. That's not a thing. But you have time. You do have time that you're alone. Get alone. Get quiet. I think if we're honest, um, we could be quiet. We just choose not to be. Right? I just need background noise on. Just let the TV run. Just let, I want to make sure there's music on on my commute. We don't commute anymore, but, you know, before Zoom comes on, there's music. I don't know, whatever. Like, we, we, we have constant noise. And, and um, it's, it's very hard to hear the Spirit of God and get in touch with him unless we're willing to get alone and, and get quiet and, and, and talk to him and, and pray. Um, um, because we have to learn how to choose our thoughts well. Um, and, that, and, that's, and that's how we will do it. I, I told you up front, you can choose and think thoughts basically on purpose. And that's like a life hack to, to recognize that. But it's also true that thoughts just pop in your head, right? That, you, that you're like, where did that thought come from? Like right now, if I say baseball, you thought of something. If I say pink elephants, you're picturing them. I say Black Lives Matter, you've got an opinion. Right now, it's like, oh, that, here we go, right? I can prompt your thoughts, and stuff can come in from the outside. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in our feed. And so we have to, the real challenge is to go, what is the good from the bad of what comes in? What is true and, and untrue? What is good and evil? What, how do I discern all of that? How do I sort through that? Um, if, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we have to sort through that. We have to get alone and get quiet to sort out the good from the bad. Um, you're, you're going to think a lot of things in an average week. You just don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to. But if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we have to get quiet, and it's going to help us sort out what to believe. This is a critical skill for Christians now because so much is flying around. And we need to hear God's still, small voice in a world that is busy, big, and loud. So number one, get alone, get quiet, and talk and listen to God. And number two is this, real quickly, read Scripture. Read Jesus' words if you want to recognize his voice. I have been married next month 23 years. Is that a lot? Hey. I don't even know what it is anymore. We're supposed to do, I don't know, like 
leather or chocolate or metal or something. I got to look it up. I don't know what 23 is. Someone send me that later. Um, 23 years of marriage. And um, at this point, um, I know how Abby thinks, right? I, I'm pretty dialed in there. I, I, I got it. Um, and, I, and I recognize her voice in a room. If everybody laughed right now, I could pick her laugh out. Um, I, there, and, and that comes from logging the time. And it's actually very useful to me because she thinks differently than I do. And sometimes when I'm in a situation, I'm like, oh, how am I going to handle this? And then I can think, oh, how would Abby handle this? And I, and I know because I've been around her a long time. And, I, and, I, and, and it's almost like having another advisor in my head, you know. Um, sometimes when I don't want it, you know, <laughs> uh, when I'm, particularly when I'm driving. Um, but but it is, it is a, a, a beautiful thing and a useful thing because, and it, and it comes from a lot of time together. And, and, and there's no substitute for that. And this is where we need to be with, with Jesus. When we read and we pray, we read his words, we get to know his voice, we get to know what it sounds like when it's in our head. His thoughts can become our thoughts. And I believe this is practical and actual and possible. Um, you can actually have some different thoughts and you can approach the world differently um, and it can change your life. We can have the mind of Christ and that is going to help us keep it together um, in a world that is big, big and loud and, and, and noisy. God promises that he will give us his spirit to help us um, think some new thoughts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for how your spirit enters us and changes us and works on us. And I pray um, that we have the mind of Christ, that we will um, acknowledge you, we will know you, we will um, learn from you, and um, and, and, and that you will shape us. Um, God, there's a lot of wisdom of this world. Some of it's good. Some of it isn't. Uh, help us to be the kind of people who sort through that, who sort through the noise in the feed, who, um, who, who, who can start to see things differently because of your spirit inside of us. Uh, spirit, do your work in us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.